time, same station. We are back. Welcome to the Third Eye High Podcast. I am your host, JF Bay, and I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. And here at Third Eye High, we deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. Let's get into it. And always remember to keep your third eye high. As we continue on with the book report series, we have another awesome installment. We have another great book for you to add to your library. Trust me, you will not be disappointed from today's book review. If you haven't heard of this book before, you're going to never forget it after this episode today. Salute to all those listening in. Salute to all those on the podcast checking in. So as we continue on, and I add this in this uh, Black History Month fashion, right? Because, you know, a lot of the previous so-called Black History Months that we've been celebrating all our lives, they left out a lot of uh, key literature that would have steered this conversation more to a real uh, truthful foundation right because a lot of the the books they give us is it's like the new form of black exploitation right it's like you know they talk about the same few inventors every black history month and you know the george washington carver the the, the alexander graham bells and you know they leave out hundreds and thousands of our ancestors that contributed to this american story now this what you call american history is in fact our history in fact world history It's our history because we're indigenous to the entire planet. So I wanted to add this book to your libraries. And this book is going to turn the the slavery story upside down. It's going to give you a more accurate account of what was taking place here in America. So if you caught the last uh, book report review, we we, uh, went over the birth of a white nation which is a powerful book. Uh, go back to the podcast and check out that episode. In fact, check out all of the book reviews because I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, throughout the year, I'm going to just be adding a lot of uh, dope books I got in my library to the list of this book report series. And just to encourage our people to start digging for the truth because that saying still reigns true. If you want to hide something from these niggas, put it in a book, right? So, Today's installment on the book report series, White Cargo. This book is called White Cargo, The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America. And it's written by Don Jordan and Michael Walsh. And this book is also uh, on the New York Times bestselling list, right? So there's a lot of people that, that, that are in the know of books like these, but a lot of our people are not. And this is why I cover literature like this on the podcast, to encourage my people to start digging for their story, you know, because somebody lied on your ancestors, you know, they said all they were were slaves. And I beg to differ. You know what I'm saying? That that shit is not accurate. So we have to really dig deeper into this American story. And it's not a racial conversation because many of these books were written by white authors and white scholars and, and Jewish authors and 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 I take nothing away from you know race you know because truth comes in all nationalities and if someone's uh, willing to stand on their square of truth I applaud them and I applaud their efforts that they contribute 
to humanity. So we're going to go around into a few chapters, right? We're going to go around to a few chapters of this uh, book. And it's, it's a powerful piece of literature. And they also show pictures inside the book as well, right? They show uh, Queen Mary, right? They show Queen Mary uh, from England. And she looks like she could be Beyonce's great-great-grandmother, right? Because it shows you of the Moorish features that this woman had to show you that she was mixed. In fact, all of the, the queens in, in history had to be traced back to the Moorish bloodline. They had to have so-called African blood in them to hold a position of royalty. And that's a hidden secret, right? So we're going to bounce around. We're going to go into a few chapters. But I wanted to go to one... Uh, key particular chapter right and this chapter is uh chapter 11 inside the book white cargo chapter 11 so we're gonna read a few excerpts from chapter 11 and then we're gonna bounce around to a few other chapters and i'll just uh give some extensive commentary in the end and hopefully it would encourage you to support this author and purchase a copy of the book you know i don't make any money by doing these book reviews this is all me you know just because i believe it's you know an awesome uh book and i think that you know people that don't know about it should know about it and the more we uh broaden our conversation as humanity by just getting the facts right so white cargo the forgotten history of britain's white slaves in america by don jordan and michael walsh the planter from angola chapter 11 the planter from Angola. The planter from Angola. All through these middle years of the 17th century, a vast trade in black slaves was developing, but largely passed by the English colonies on the mainland. The 20 and odd Negroes sold in Point Comfort in 1619 were no more or less enslaved than the freewillers or convicts that would have encountered on the shore. It took decades more for the plantation owners of the Chesapeake to begin to buy in any number from the black slave market and much longer for the legal edifice of black bondage to evolve. The story of an African who is believed to have been among those arriving in 1619 shows that the onset of racial slavery in America had the most unlikely twists and turns. Now, they only speak of what they have recorded in history, right? Some 20-odd Negroes from Africa that arrived on a ship. They don't speak of these millions of people that arrived on ships because 99% of the people were already indigenous to the Americas. And I say the Americas, North and South. This is why you find some of the oldest pyramids in Mississippi, some of the oldest mounds in, in uh, Illinois and, and South America. You have pyramids in South America older than the pyramids in Africa. So it's showing you that our presence was prominent throughout the world on all of the continents. And this is the secret they're hiding because they isolate you to one particular continent, you would think that you have no connection with the people of the other lands. Not so. So they were saying that this so-called 21st Africans that showed up in 1619, and many of them 
came over by way of their own admission. See, it wasn't this, we're going to round up ships of people and steal them. Because in in the book, uh, uh, Birth of a White Nation, they were speaking of these uh, expeditions, these ships that came from England. They didn't come from England to go to Africa. They came from England and dumped off their white slaves into America. Many of the first uh, slaves that showed up here in America were, in fact, poor white children. And to, to attest to that, all the way up to the 1930s in America, they still had child labor, right? They had kids working in coal mines and factories in the 1930s, right? This is here in this country. So this is all American history. But let's continue on. Anthony Johnson, as the African became to known, as the African became to be known, not only secured his freedom, but also became a successful planter himself and went on to buy servants of his own, white as well as black. Hmm. So one of these first Africans that came here on their own admission in 1619, Anthony Johnson, he ends up becoming a slave master himself. And he, in fact, had white slaves and black slaves. Now remember, when we went over the last book, these people didn't become, until 1681, the concept of white didn't exist in this country. They created it. These people don't have white skin. We, we clearly know that. So now this this thing of slavery, this, uh, you know, uh, chattel slavery came later. But first it was more it was more about pledging a man's labor. Right. They, they didn't care what color your skin was. They wanted your labor, you know, to to work these tobacco fields and all this because they were amassing such large profits. Now, a lot of these companies that you called, you know, the the that ran the plantations, they were uh, bonding companies. And these bonding companies, they would lease out the service of these men. First, it started in indentured servitude. Then it later became bogus contracts and, and locking people in for a lifetime of servitude. But let's continue here. 30 years after Johnson first touched American soil, he got into a dispute with a servant, a fellow African, Listen to this. This is this is hilarious, the story. He got into a dispute with a servant, a fellow African, who was demanding his freedom. Johnson resolved it by, pers by persuading a court to enslave the man for life. This was one of the first cases of lifetime slavery being imposed in North America. A black man playing one of the villains and the ghastly tragedy that was beginning to to unfold the African the Africans from the white lion are brought are thought to have been brought originally by two wealthiest planters in Virginia one was Sir George Yardley governor of the colony and Vanille and a Vanille man who seems to have acquired more white servants than anyone else in those early days of the colony. So this first ship that showed up in the Americas that only had 20 Africans and many of them came over here as indentured servants, they were contracted and many of them actually acquired land. This ship was called the White Lion. This is the only ship they have recorded that showed up. Now later they talked about the Kaleida and all these. The Kaleida was uh, allegedly the last ship that they stopped bringing 
you know, at the harbor, we're bringing in all these people in, 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 from Africa when uh, America supposedly outlawed slavery at the time. This was in the 1800s. And the ship, the Collider. And they talk about this same ship in all the museums. In fact, they just made a movie about it. Another fucking slave movie. We're not watching it. But it's to reinforce that same story. But this this uh, expedition of these, these hundreds of ships that, that brought millions of people over here, that didn't happen. When they show you these these images of people stacked like star- sardines, they're always paintings. There's no actual pictures to show you this. Why didn't they save any of the pictures to throw in a museum? In fact, the only slave ship that they have is a replica in the state of Maryland. Now, why would you have a replica if all of these ships were in perfect condition because they made multiple trips back and forth from Africa like they want us to believe? All of these ships seem to be destroyed, mysteriously caught fire, <laughs> sunk, right? They all disappear. It's like they, they hit the evidence or did this shit even happen? But as I said, if you would have had these people stacked like sardines next to each other and all that, 90% of these people would have showed up dead because of disease and all this other stuff and feces and people not even be able to have drinking water through this seven, eight month trip. Because it took a long trip. You didn't have, you know, engines on your boat. You know, you had to row, row, row your boat. These were sailboats. So all of this stuff couldn't have happened scientifically in the way they're saying. So be clear. I'm not saying the slavery didn't take place. I'm talking about the timeline. It's bogus. I'm not saying they they didn't enslave our people. I'm telling you they didn't steal you from Africa. Many of the people were already here on the land. In fact... The Nile River connects to the Mississippi River. We were doing trade back and forth on the other continent in Africa for thousands of years before these Europeans showed up. That's the part they're hiding too. Salute to the Mississippi Mississippi mound builders, right? These were the first pyramids. A lot of these uh, mounds are older than the pyramids in Egypt. And in fact, the first Egypt is here in America. They named some of the cities, Cairo, right? Memphis, right? All of these these cities are say are also named in Egypt. See, they played with the timeline. They also played with the maps. So a lot of this stuff has us looking at history in a distorted lens. Let's continue on, man. This is a fascinating story about uh, Anthony Johnson. So now the other was Abraham Percy, the Virginia Company's trading agent. See? They had something called the the Virginia Tobacco Company, right? Now, this was a bonding company. Think of it like the first corporate stock exchange where they were leasing out contracted labor. This is how it first started. So the Virginia Company's trading agent. It is widely claimed that this transaction marked the beginning of slavery. That almost from the start, the men and women from the White Lion were a separated class, lower in status, than all those around them. The picture is of Johnson and the other Africans uh, suffering greater debilities subject to more degradation than the white servants. One color chained and kicked. The other merely chained. English racism was supposedly at work, dividing black and white from the moment the Angolans trooped ashore. In reality, however, the Africans appeared to have been treated as indentured servants. See, this stuff first started out as contracted labor. So you had people from all continents willing to come over here to work the land 
and they were promised acres of land. So everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wanted to be a, 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 a boss. Everybody wanted to boss up and own something of their own. And this was the initial uh, concept of this American experiment because America was an experiment. Now we're gonna we're gonna go to uh, the beginning chapter where it speaks about how the people got over here, how they kind of you know advertised this trip over here because they emptied their jails with all of the poor. The, go back to to my podcast, the the, uh, the book report series where I cover the first book, White Trash, right? The book White Trash, and the the English referred to the concept of America, the idea of the land of the free and all that, America was supposed to be uh, Britain's toilet. And they referred to the poor whites that they sent from Britain, from the jails and the streets here to America. They were white trash. So America was Britain's toilet. Rubbish, right? You ever heard the term rubbish? How they speak in Britain? So now this was the experiment. It was getting rid of all the people they didn't want it in England to clean up England. And then shit got popping over here because it turned into, it kind of morphed. This experiment just kept morphing. Let's go. Uh, In reality, the Africans appear to have been treated as indentured servants. No different from the English servants. English servants. Racism may well have existed, but in the rush to profit, the color of a field laborer was a secondary consideration. Having enough hands to hoe the next 10,000 tobacco hills was paramount. Black mixed with white and the tobacco labor gang would continue to do so in the next century in some places. As the African-American writer uh, Lenro Bennett Jr. puts it, not only in Virginia, but also in New England and New York, the first blacks were integrated into a forced labor system that had little or nothing to do with skin color. That came later. But in the interim, a faithful 40-year-old period of primary importance in the America in the history of America. Black men and women worked side by side with the first generations of whites, cultivating tobacco, clearing the land, and building roads and horses. Excuse me, roads and houses. Between the servants themselves, there appears to have been little, if any, racism. According to the African-American historian Audrey Smedley, early references to blacks reveal little clear evidence of general or widespread social apathy on account of their color. Professor Smedley writes, records show a fairly high incident of cooperation among black and white servants and unified resistance to harsh masters. Earlier historians of servitude, Edmund S. Morgan, found hints that two despised groups initially saw each other as sharing the same predicament. See, as I mentioned in the other book, The Birth of the White Nation, they were talking about Bacon's Rebellion, right? Now, Bacon's Rebellion was Nathaniel Bacon, cousin to Sir Francis Bacon, right? If anybody's familiar with his name. He was, you know, a rich, prominent, you know, landowner, and he had some plantations and he had, you know, indentured servitudes, white and black. And these people were rising up on the plantations because they all seen that the elite was getting rich off everybody, black and white. 
So the races were coming together and they created these series of rebellions. So Bacon's Rebellion was the first time the elite class seen we got to create a divide and conquer strategy or ship out to get real because the poor whites and the poor blacks that we, you know, are contracting with and reneging on the contract and not giving them their compensation and we're just amassing all the profits, they started to see that the people would come together and rise up. So in order to stop that, they created this class system. That's why in 1681, they started to refer to these people as white people and then refer to you as black and from Africa. And all of this stuff became, uh, we're going to treat this slave this way and treat that slave this way. And then later on, some of the whites no longer became indentured servitudes. They became landowners. Some, not all. Because this is why the Civil War was even a problem. The North wasn't against slavery. They wanted the bag because the South had the bag and the South had the votes. Because those who have the money, those who have the property, they have the votes to hold office. Now, if you have the votes to hold office, you can create law, push policy. See where I'm going with this? Continues on. Perhaps the story would have been difficult had the sale of the White Lion's cargo triggered an overpowering influx of Africans. It had no such impact. So in 1619, they only speak of 20 recorded Africans that showed up on a ship to the Americas called the White Lion. Now they're saying if they were so interested in all this black labor that they was about to get, there would have been an influx of all these ships bringing in these Africans, but it didn't happen because the people were already home. See, wouldn't it be cheaper for me to enslave you on a land that you're already living on than, than to spend millions of dollars taking hundreds of ships and hundreds of trips where 90% of the cargo can die on the way making the trip? Like, who, who's going to make that kind of bet? We're going to go all the way to, to Africa, to a continent we're not even familiar with. Right? Many of these white slaves were slaves themselves coming from England. So where did they get the bag to say, yo, we're going to go all the way to Africa? Still a bunch of niggas. So we're going to fight with the people at the shore, still them. Then we're going to take them to a colony where we got to fight the natives of the land to edge out our colony. It, 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 it doesn't seem financially like it could happen. It doesn't seem like it, it could be done this way. But if they, they show you this in a movie, that shit going to seem real to you. So let's get back to this. It speaks that it wasn't an influx of all these ships bringing in these Africans people were already here see they were slowly but shortly uh creating or spreading this plan of we're going to enslave the people that's already on the land do you see what's going on we're going to start slicing up their land see people were warring for america they weren't the americans they later became the americans just like they weren't white before 1681 Continuing on, no one's eyes in London or in Jamestown seem to have been opened at this point to the possibilities of using African labor in any major way. And for some time, only limited numbers of Africans were shipped in. Over the next 10 years, several English privateers reportedly did arrive in the Chesapeake with Africans for sale. And men and women were brought in from Dutch territory 
and from the West Indies, but Virginia continually continued to rely on white servant trade. By the mid 17th century, Africans numbered only 300 out of the total population of 11,000. See what's going on? They perpetrated the fraud in a lot of these history books. So now when they say they imported slaves from Africa or from these other colonies, keep in mind, you had the 13 colonies. There was no such thing as 50 states in America. So all the other land was being conquered or cut up and being uh, named after the people that settled the land. So you had one state that might be a state 100 years from now. But in that time, it was a Dutch colony, right? A British colony or this person's colony. Remember, they claimed the land. So they might say they imported you from another country when you probably came from another state that just wasn't a colony. Do you see what's going on? But when somebody writes it from a historical standpoint, all you can see is like, yo, they took these people from another continent. When they might have took them hundred miles away from another state that at the time wasn't called a particular state see what's going on from these small numbers there emerged some stories of individual success after their indentured uh, period expired a handful of Africans went on to secure land of their own and to prosper they apparently had no difficulty in acquiring property of their own and engaged in businesses and commercial activities on the basis of equality with whites, writes Professor Smedley. Some black men of substance even acquired slaves of their own. So now we're going to get into Anthony Johnson. So now it wasn't until the late uh, 17th century, right? This is when they created the concept that these people were going to be called white, the white race, which was a made up thing. In, in form of legislation. But even all the way up into the 1800s, they had to create a law that said Negroes can't buy white slaves. Wait a minute. They made a law that said free Negroes can't buy any more white slaves because they were now changing the course of history. They were rewriting the history books as they went. So if they had to make a law to say we couldn't buy any more white slaves, then it serves to say that at one point in time, we were owning white slaves. See, they, they, they never show you in this capacity as a freeman when many of our people were free well before slavery and well after. Not to say that they didn't succumb to ill treatments along the way. This came by way of legislation. Henceforth, the discrimination policies of Jim Crow and all this other stuff the black and white water fountains, all that shit came after slavery. <laughs> after you were free, they, they started to treat you even more fucked up. So you see what's going on? So we, we are rooted in the anger of that mistreatment and the marching in the 60s and the water hoses and the sicking the dogs on you. Remember, they called the fire department to turn the water hoses on, right? And this water hose would rip your goddamn clothes off. You know what I'm saying? It, it would tear the skin. You know, they would actually turn up the pressure like they was putting out a fire and the water hose would knock down rows of people just trying to protest, just trying to be civil. But what did Martin Luther King say? I feel as though I integrated my people into a burning house because Martin Luther King figured out that he got duped when they signed the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. He said, wait a minute, there was a Civil Rights Bill of 1868 after slavery that these niggas didn't honor. 
So he found out that this administration and all of the administrations, they were rigged. They were rigged against one particular group of people that would still be marching in the streets in the 2020s, still trying to tell people to treat them civil, when if you're free, you got all your God-given rights. In fact, New York City, they're now, you know, arguing the concept of, you know, this reparations talk. And they're still talking about creating a, a, a reparations commission. My nigga, we got all the documents of history. We, why you need a, a commission of people to put together to have a talk about this shit? Where the money at? Because I didn't put together a commission when the Jews needed their reparations. They got their money. They still get billions of dollars around the world. Hundreds of billions of dollars. No questions asked. Even after there were only two, two so-called million Jews in the initial claim. And they said more than 19 million people claimed to be Jews after money started coming out. And they were Jewish converts. Now, how do you become a race of people by pledging a faith? Makes no sense to me, right? Because I can't go to a church and say, I, I, I was a slave and I need reparations. I either, I, I'm either tied to the people that suffered the atrocity or I'm not. But let's get back to this, right? Because I don't, I don't want to go veer off too far, but I just want to put a lot of this stuff in historical context. So when we're reading these things, shit lights up. You start to say, wait a minute, they on to something, right? Because it's crazy. I was reading this book, White Cargo. I'm on a train in New York City a few years ago. I'm reading this book. There's a European right across from me in one of the other cars. And he's staring. You know how you can feel somebody staring at you? I'm like, damn, why is homie staring while I'm reading this book? But it didn't dawn on me. He read the book too. So this guy's waiting to get my attention. About five, ten stops. I'm on a train in New York City. And I keep looking over and I'm like, yo, dude, is like eyes fixed on the cover, like waiting to get my attention. So he waits all the way until I'm about to get off at my stop. And he comes over. He says, man, I didn't know. He's damn near like teary-eyed. He's like, man, I didn't know. I didn't know, man. I'm, I'm so sorry, man. You have my apology, man. That's an awesome book. You know, he, he's like, I cry like a baby. And he found out in one of the chapters by doing his family research, his great-great-grandfather was an indentured servant in the uh, sugar plantations in Jamaica. Say, wow, you don't say. See, they dropped off a lot of these white slaves on the islands too. See, before the 1800s, a lot of these so-called white people, they don't know their own family history either. See, they're just perpetrating and pretending. Yeah, we own slaves and all that. And many of their people were slaves. See, they're not going to show you that past because if they got some land grab grants and they end up coming up on a couple dollars, they're not going to tell you that they was poor whites with no status. So they, they, they let you insinuate that they own your people. Not true. Anthony Johnson became one such man of substance. His first Jamestown master appears to have sold him to another very wealthy man, Edward Bennett, a merchant ship owner in 1622. Bennett sent Johnson and 50 or more servants to clear the woods for a plantation on the James River at a point known as Fort Boykin. The merchant called the plantation Bennett's Welcome. His party arrived at the site in February 1622, the following month. Before a palisades could be built, the, the Paltan Confederacy launched 
It's Good Friday Massacre. Anthony Johnson was one of the only 12 survivors of the attack at Bennett's Welcome. So they're talking about these Indian tribes that was warring with these white settlers that was trying to move in to set up a colony. Now, historically, I say Indian, and you automatically start to look at these pale-faced, straight-haired, Mongolian mixed tribes that later came to the land called Native Americans. But the original tribes, the American Indians, they're your people. They're us. See, they had to keep changing all these names in history so you wouldn't follow who they were fighting. And when they say, oh, they came here and wiped out the, the Indians and extinct the population. And then these people showed up. They got reservations that got casinos and all got alcohol problems. These were the later tribes that made the deal to hide the fact that they weren't the only people on the land. That was the great switch out. American Indian, Native American. See, even if you go to the Museum of Natural History in New York City, they had some of the oldest extensions on display. So I say, well, wait a minute, where's these white Indians that's wearing weaving their hair? When I look around, I see a lot of sisters today still wearing weaving their hair. So I say, wait a minute, they show in the museum some ancient Indians that made weave. I say, man, how many sisters today is, is, is doing that same trait? So to show you, they're talking about the same people. But if I say Indian, you automatically gonna go to a picture of an Indian you've seen in a movie. And all the Indians were played by white actors at the time, on purpose. Right? All the fake Tarzan movies and all that shit, they was all white actors. So it was all bogus, right? So, continuing on here. Johnson spent up to another dozen years as a servant before being freed and allotted a tract of land to farm from the Patangi River. Over the next three decades, he built a sizable land holding and imported more than a dozen servants, some English and some African. The headwrights claimed on these people helped Johnson accumulate a thousand acres. Perhaps the only marked difference between Johnson and the white planters around him was the name that he gave his Northampton County plantation. He called it Angola. So this brother, Anthony Johnson, had hundreds of slaves, black and white. He had over a thousand acres of land. Interesting. Now, it mentions he got this through the headright system. So what was the headright system? Okay, so these poor whites that were snatched out of the jails in England, grabbed off the streets, right? These were vagabonds, you know, homeless people, criminals, Robbers, murderers, rapists, all these people they, they didn't want in England. They gave them an ultimatum. Yo, you can go on this ship, take this trip to America. You can work the land, be an indentured servant, right? They would tell many of them seven years, right? Remember, seven years of slave, 10 years of slave, 14 years of slave, all that. That was dealing with indentured servitude. They were trying to show you the distinction between the two systems. So the head right system was like this. You go over to America, you work the land. For each person that successfully fulfills their contract, they would allocate you 50 acres of land. That was the, the play, right? So what he's saying is for each uh, so-called slave or 
person he had bonded to him that was working the land for a, a substantial, a substantial period of time, they basically, he could pledge their labor and be awarded a plot of land. So for every slave that he had, he had X amount of acres due to him in the end of the contract. So this is why he was able to amass over a thousand acres. You can't even fathom that today. An acre is like a football field. So he had a thousand football fields. That's how big his land was. And this was a brother in the 1600s. And he had black slaves and white slaves. Interesting stuff. The American dream was also coming true for several other Africans imported as indentured servants. But after 1640, the prospects for Africans overall were worsening right across the eastern seaboard of America. English colonies on the mainland had begun edging in different ways towards racial slavery and at a different, a different pace. With the men in power quite possibly having little idea of where they were heading. Massachusetts, for instance, goes down in history as the first colony to legalize slavery. Massachusetts was the first colony to legalize slavery. That's interesting. Massachusetts has the Boston Tea Party situation, all that. And in fact, in 2022, 2023, they just announced Massachusetts is trying to be the first state to push a law where inmates, right, and privatized prisons, right, it's another form of slavery, and now it's moving to organ harvesting. So Massachusetts puts out this law this year in 2023, they trying to pass, that inmates can get time off their sentence if they donate an organ or bone marrow. Now, if that shit's not organ harvesting, I don't know what is. But, yeah, Massachusetts, <laughs> what do you know? One of the most racist states of all, by the way, but when we say racist in terms of they're the ones more enforcing this policy, right? Because they know that these people ain't white. They know that you ain't black. They know that this is a status conversation. But if I disenfranchise one group over the other, this is what you call racism. But we got to get deep rooted to why this shit was created. To hide the identity of people that created an identity. Interesting shit. Massachusetts, for instance, goes down in history as the first colony to legalize slavery. But no race was targeted when it did so. Indeed, at first glance, the Massachusetts Declaration on Slavery reads more as a trumpet blast for freedom than the reverse. It announces, There shall never be any bond slavery, villainage, or captivity among us, and then list the ex exceptions everyone from prisoners of war to such strangers as willingly selling themselves, willingly selling themselves, or are sold to us, and anyone else judged thereto by authority. So they was promoting, we got indentured servitude over here, fair contracts, unless you get arrested, unless you, you, you get kidnapped, bought and sold to us, Right, then we can keep you. That's that's the, the earlier forms of the privatized prison concept. <laughs> Interesting. The worsening position of the Africans manifested itself, first in the lifetime enslavement of isolated individuals. Who this first happened to isn't known. But the earliest recorded cases are of men 
who were being punished for running away. See, that's what they would do. Let's say you were an indentured servant, right? Black or white. And you were contracted to work seven years on someone's particular land. After the seven years, the contract says you were supposed to, by way of the head right system, you were supposed to be allocated X amount of acres of land. So let's say this dirty white boy didn't want to honor the contract. His word wasn't bond. So he says, nah, you don't got seven years in the contract. You got 10 years. you like, what? My paperwork says seven. So you decide to run away. They capture you. And your penalty for running away is three more years. So now he ends up getting the 10 years that he fraudulently got out of the contract that only said seven. Now, do you see what's going on with this runaway slave thing and all this? And they mentioned prisoners of war because that's what many of our people were, not slaves. They were prisoners of war. Many of these people were on free land and they were captured being brought into slavery because a lot of these poor whites couldn't afford to buy any laborers. So they started to steal them, but they stole them from the land they were already on. They didn't go to Africa to get them. Interesting stuff, guys. The earliest recorded cases of men who were punished for running away. And what is more for running away together with white servants? The whites, they ran with received especially vicious punishment too, though short of enslavement for life. This would be reserved for blacks. So you had black slaves and white slaves running away and they would punish them both, but they found a way, hey, these black workers, they tend to work a little bit harder than these, these frail white ones we got. So. The more we capture these rebellious black slaves, the more we could doctor the contract to where now they're not indentured servants, they're now chattel property. See, this stuff was happening because the more the elite amassed the profits from this uh, indentured servitude system of slavery, and the more they reneged on the contracts of giving people the land after they fulfilled their contract obligations, these people were bitter. They were angry. So they still wanted to compete in this system of slavery. So all you needed was people, right? All you needed was somebody that you could force to work for you. Look at all these corporations. They still want free labor, right? We still got sweatshops in America. And they, you know, argue about the shit in China when it's worse over here. In fact, they found in some factories, it was some kids working in factories in 2023. <laughs> in 2023. Yeah, they still get that money. Why do you think all these migrants are pouring into the cities? What the fuck happened to the border wall? What happened to ICE? Like, yo, they just letting everybody in here. Because it's became American Experiment 2.0. They're doing it all over again. Well, they don't need your black labor now. They could pay a Mexican four or five dollars. In fact... They just uh, announced a $4 billion budget for these illegals in New York City. They're going to be giving them $1,000 a month, free money, $1,000 a month. They're going to be giving them driver's license. They're also trying to pass a bill to help illegals vote in the country. You're not legally in the country and you're getting the right to vote over so-called black people. See, they're putting you and they're putting us, our people, in a lower class. They're putting us below the migrants. They're trying to pass a bill to give the migrants the right to vote. So now we don't even need your vote. We ain't even got to tap dance and panhandle to you niggas around election season. We could just bypass you. 
because we got all these migrants that we let stay at these five-star hotels. They're going to remember us come election time. Why would they want to create a bill that allows them the right to vote if they wasn't planning this? You got to wake up, guys. The future is going to be very different for our babies in 10 years. Nothing is a coincidence. And those illegals, they'll gladly take the vaccine. (laughs) They'll gladly take the vaccine. The runaway is one of the constant throughout, is one of the constants throughout the history of American servitude. From the dreaded days of Sir Thomas Dale, men and women were slipping away into the forest or taking to the water in hopes of finding refuge with Native Americans or losing themselves in another colony. They were, they would continue to do so long after the English period and up to the American Civil War. To run was the only resort of the desperate servant slash slave. Judging from the increasingly harsh deterrence adopted from the 1630s, more and more were running as the 17th century advanced. As with virtually every servant crime, the first stage of punishment was a whipping. In Virginia, constables apprehending runaways were instructed to administer an immediate whipping and every constable who escorted them on the journey back to the plantation was told to follow suit. That's crazy. So they said if they would capture a runaway slave, the person that caught you was to reprimand you, was to whip you. And every other person that handled you on the way back to your own plantation was to whip you. They would pass you along and whip your ass. Interesting. Every constable into whose hands the captive shall be committed shall whip him severely. Merlin filtered briefly, excuse me, Merlin flirted briefly with making desertions a capital offense, but instead adopted the Virginia way slapping an extra stretch of time on the servant's indentured period. At first, the formula was two days extra servitude for every day on the run. But in Virginia, that escalated to five days for every day absent, and Maryland to ten days. Other colonies followed the Chesapeake's lead, but were generally content with the two-for-one ratio, but all added something else to the extra time a runaway faced compensation for the cost of hunting him or her down. Some planters' expense claims were staggering, including such items as the planter hiring his own horse to himself. At the end of it, someone who has tasted perhaps a few months of freedom faced years of extra slavery. So if you ran away and hit out for a few months, when they did catch you, they might have added five or six years onto your contract. So now keep in mind, you ran away because they didn't honor your contract that you fulfilled. They didn't give you your land that they promised. So you ran away, of course, breach of contract. But instead of them honoring it, they penalized you for them breaching the contract. So now you might add seven years, they added five on, now you got 12. So now let's say in this time, you end up having a child. Oh, your child's a part of the contract, too. That never was in the initial writing of the contract. See what's going on? They started to perpetrate the fraud as they went. The harshness 
reflected the planter's determination to stamp on all signs of dissent at a time when the whiff of insurrection was beginning to spread. Discontent could be scented across the Chesapeake in a series of many rebellions and plots and acts of violence on the plantations in which black and white servants acted together. In this atmosphere, escapes, escape attempts were viewed as part of the same movement. In 1640, the Virginia planner Hugh Gwynn raised a, a, a hue and cry over three servants who had escaped into Merlin. One was a Scot, one was a Dutchman, and one was John Punch. He was an African. On hearing the news that they had been caught and detained in Maryland, their master Gwen decided to have the three sold where they had been picked up. That would save him the extra expense of bringing them back into chains and produce enough cash to purchase more tractable, more traceable servants. However, the idea of runaway servants possibly going unpunished mortified the Virginia court. It ruled against such a perniculous predicament. And in June 1640, asked the governor of Maryland to have the three return to Virginia for such exemplary and can dig uh, punishment as the nature of their offense shall justly deserve. So you had a white guy, or excuse me, they wasn't white. You had a Dutchman, you had a, a Scottishman, and you had an African, all indentured servants that their contracts was violated. They wasn't compensated what they were told they were going to be given. And all three of these men decide to run away. Different races, but they all were being oppressed. And this system said, we got to punish all three of them. But let's see if they'll receive the same punishment. The next three months, the escapees were arraigned in a Virginia court. All were given 30 strokes of the whip. In addition, the two whites were ordered to serve their four terms, their four terms with Gwen, plus an extra year on top. More, moreover, after that was served, they were to be bound for a further three years as servants of the colony. So they ran away because their master didn't honor the contract by compensating them and giving them their acres of land so they could be their own bosses. When they were caught, they were given an extra year of his contract and then they were allowed to be sold so he could make money selling them to another person where they're bonded to him for another three years. That's crazy. Let's see what happens to the African. For John Punch, the African, the news was even worse. After his whipping, he was to serve his master or his assigns for the same time of his natural life, here or elsewhere. John Punch is thus the first recorded case of the lifetime enslavement of an African-American. But you see how they interchange with the words? They call John an African, then they called him an African-American. But remember, this term African-American didn't take place until the 1980s where people were being called African-Americans because you were an Afro-American before that, then a Negro, then a colored. But for the sake of conversation, John Punch is the first melanated man that's recorded as serving a lifetime of servitude. 
And this had nothing to do with the so-called millions of Africans they brought from Africa. That was the story they later told. Two weeks later, another mixed-race group of servants, escapees, appeared in the same court. They consisted of an African, four Englishmen, and two men described as Dutch, though they brought English names. Excuse me, though they bore English names. They had taken part in a well-organized attempt to reach Dutch territory by the river. They stole a scuff-plus shot and guns and took off on a Saturday night. When they reached the Elizabeth River, their skiffs were spotted and they were caught. The alleged ringleader, one of the Dutchmen named as Christopher Miller, was punished uh, venomously, uh, venomously with severity. He was to be given 30 strokes of the whip, have the letter R branded on the cheek, and spend at least one year wearing a leg iron. Longer, if said master shall see cause. When he had served out the full contracted period with his master, Miller was to become the property of the company as its servant for a further seven years. See, the mistreatment of the laborers pushed on the constitution of harsher punishment. So the more people were running away because they wasn't getting what they were supposed to get in their contract, they found out they were in dupe contracts that never ended, that kept extending, right? Kind of like the music contracts where they keep extending your contract and you become bonded to these companies where they can usurp your intellectual property. And in this case, usurp your labor for a lifetime. Man, this is crazy. So this is where this, you know, the pictures we've seen of the, you know, the slaves with the the back all whipped up and the funny contraptions, you know, the stuff on their neck and the the leg irons and the stuff they had chained on them if they ran away because people continuously ran away. It's like, yo, you put me in a contract that I already fulfilled and then you didn't give me any compensation. And then when I brought it to your attention, you added more time on my contract. So it's like, why am I going to work seven years, then 10 years when... I'm not promised shit after the 10 years because at the 10 years, I'm, 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 I'm guessing that they would create another situation to where you would try to run away again. So now I got you 10 years. You ran away again. I got you for another seven years. Now I got 17 years out of you. See how this works? And you might've had how many children during then? And now I found a way to get your children contract and the judges were corrupt and all this like today, right? Nothing's changed. So they were, the more they filled up their pocket, the more corrupt the system became. Henceforth, the history of America. History of America is rooted in corruption. It's rooted in free labor. The Englishmen were punished slightly less severe. Hold on, here we go. Miller was the one to become the property of the colony as a servant for a further seven years. The second Dutchman was to serve those seven years extra too. The Englishman was punished slightly less severely. After whipping and branding and serving out their contracted time, one was to serve the colony for three years and two others for two and a half years. The other Englishmen among them were merely put on probation. See, that's when they started to create the class system. Oh, he's an Englishman. 
So we're going to punish him just a little bit less. So now his allegiance will be more to us. See what's going on? When he see the Dutchman get five years, seven years on his contract, and they get put on probation. Kind of like a white man, so-called white man today. They commit a crime or, or they embezzle money at their company. They get probation and they give someone in the so-called black and brown community like 100 years for selling weed. <laughs> Even now, when weed is legal, we still got millions of our people incarcerated for marijuana charges. What's up with that? Class system. Continuing on. As for the African who was named Emmanuel, he was to be whipped, branded, and shackled. There is no mention in the records of him serving extra time. So it can be assumed that he, like John Punch a few months earlier, was enslaved for life. Which is crazy. The first concept of branding, they would brand their slaves. Now you know what I, what I find crazy? A lot of our mixed up people that join sororities and fraternities, they allowed them to brand them. When that branding shit came from slavery itself. You my nigga, so I'ma brand my name on you. And look at all the athletes that <laughs> wear brand names. It's all the same concept. $30 million slave, same shit. Nothing's changed, right? The same property owners, you know, own people. They own players. Same concept. Over the next decade, perpetual slavery of Africans inevitably became common enough for the extraordinary story of John Casser. John Casser, of the story of John Casser to be played out. This was something of a test case in which a black servant claimed his indentured servant period had expired years before his master counterclaimed that he was his servant for life. The twist of the story is that the master seeking this lifetime sentence was Anthony Johnson. So pay attention. Anthony Johnson was the so-called, you know, ex-indentured servant from Africa who becomes a plantation owner himself that amassed over a thousand acres. He had hundreds of slaves, black and white. So one of his so-called black slaves is petitioning the court to say, I already honored my contract, and this nigga's trying to keep me in this contract. Interesting. The case was brought out in the early 1960s. Excuse me, 1650s. <laughs> the case was fought out in the early 1650s. Casser had fled Anthony Johnson's Angola plantation and sought refuge with a neighboring planter. The runaway insisted that he had been held for seven years beyond his indentured term. The neighbor, Robert Parker, believed Casser and kept him on his own plantation. Keep in mind. So this brother, whose master was a brother, runs to the so-called white guy that's a plantation owner himself, and he tells him of his story, and he hides him out. Interesting. The neighbor, Robert Parker, believed Casser and kept him on his own plantation. Johnson was determined to get his property back and went to court. The ensuing legal battle saw Robert Parker representing the runaway uh, Casser in court. So the, the white slave master was representing the white slave 
that was suing the black slave master. The case dragged on for two years, presenting the bewildering sight of a white planter fighting a black planter to save a black servant from perpetual slavery. At one juncture, Johnson was persuaded by his sons to free Casser, but then reneged on the settlement. In the end, Johnson triumphant. The Northampton County, uh, the Northampton County Court ruled that Casser had indeed been a slave all along, and instructed that he had be he had to be returned immediately to Johnson, who was to be compensated for the two years Casser had been free. Robert Parker was ordered to pay him damages for sheltering the runaway. Twenty years later, Casser was still owned by Mary Johnson, Anthony Johnson's widow. So this is crazy. The white slave master that hid out the slave that was, you know, running away from the plantation of his black slave master. The white slave master had to compensate Anthony Johnson for hiding dude out for two years during this court case. Interesting. And then he ends up becoming his slave for life so much so that he pledges this guy's labor to his wife. So a lot of times you would see on the ledger of somebody's will property, right? Like, for instance, if you were to die, you could leave your slaves to someone else. I, I pledge Mary and John and their kid to my nephew. And, and now that contract would be awarded to them. So this would happen. So imagine if the slave master was to die and he had all these fraudulent contracts, he would just pass these on to other people and they would get money. And this is how they furthered this institution. So look around. If everybody else is getting money off the same institution, it's going to encourage other people to be a part of the corruption. And that's what happened. A lot of those poor whites was trying to get a bag. So they became a part of this situation but it didn't start where all of them owned all our people and nah these niggas was poor and they was working the land too they became something other than and that's why they keep trying to leave us stuck in time in that one period with all these goddamn slave movies because it didn't happen the way they telling it but they damn sure owe us for what happened I'm damn sure won't get what's due my ancestors with interest that 40 acres with interest, you hear me? That's why we coloring stuff like this so we can really get the story right. We don't need a, a reparations commission and you got all these paid off talking head niggas that just talk good and say nothing representing us. Nope, the people got to know what happened so we know how to get compensated. And who owes, you get what I'm saying? And in fact, all of these banking institutions were founded off of the proceeds of slavery. They all got to cut a check. They all got to give up them acres of land that they fraudulently stole that already was, was given to our people. See, when they changed your name and all this slavery stuff and they changed your identity, they also changed the property that you own that was tied to your family. A lot of shit took place after slavery, man. With that Freedmen's Bureau and all that. They stole a lot of the property. Did you know that... What was his name? Frederick Douglass? Was it Frederick Douglass? I don't want to miss... I don't want to misquote him. I think it was Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was the president of the Freedmen's Bank. They had a bank. 
Frederick Douglass was the president of the Freedmen's Bank and right before the bank was gonna go under, they made the president of the bank a black face to encourage our people that heard, yo, the government's stealing the money out of this, out of these banks. We shouldn't deposit our money here. So they put a black face, hey guys, I'm gonna pledge my own money into this bank. Y'all just keep donating, y'all keep depositing. Ain't nothing gonna happen to this bank. It's government insured. And in fact, weeks later, millions of our people lost their fucking life savings. That happened for real. Where that compensation? That's aside from reparation money. After the war, there, there are millions of people trying to uh, put in petitions to get their families' earnings back from the war. Their families' property that was allocated during the war. And they would come up with crazy tests. You gotta guess how many jelly beans is in that jar to fill out your application. You gotta know the password that they had when they opened the account. How the fuck would you know that? All you had to do was prove you were your family. But because you were this particular race, they confiscated everything. Now this happened to the Jews where they rounded them up and they took all their money. So if this happened to them and they got compensated, why won't they compensate us when it happened to us? But they just want to throw out this anti-Semitic word when you can't be anti yourself because you are of the bloodline of Christ. You are the original Jew, the jewels of light. Right. That's for another discussion. But getting back to this, man, this is this is very, a uh, very revealing time in history. And it says by then lifetime black slaves were becoming the norm. And all the colonies had passed laws, see, passed laws, either recognizing slavery in principle or specifically legalizing it. Massachusetts led the way in 1641, followed by the continent, excuse me, followed by Connecticut in 1650, Virginia in 1661, Maryland in 1663. See, do you see the times changing to where now it was like, yo, if we perpetrate this indentured servitude on the so-called black population, we can most definitely rig those contracts to where they're lifetime slaves. See what see what start taking place? And they like, yo, they better workers. In fact, they got babies. We can make the babies a part of the contract. And now we got an extended labor class. And that's when it started to morph into something else. But they didn't steal these people from Africa. They stole the people that were already owners of the land. Salute to all my people that know of their indigenous background, right? And we're not taken away from the Africa story. Oh, so you saying we ain't African, brother, and we ain't black? I went over this. There's 52 nations in Africa. I'll give you $100 if you can tell me which nation they stole you from. Why Why you don't know? Why you only know that you're an African African? But no one in Africa calls themselves an African. Their passports tell you the nation they come from. I'm Egyptian. I'm from Egypt. It's not going to say Africa, Africa. You don't get on the plane and say, I'm going to fly to Africa. Ah, my G, you fly to somebody's airport, <laughs> somebody's country. So how is it we don't know, even after all these hundreds of years, why haven't they filled in the blanks for us? Because it didn't happen. In fact, why don't you have countries in Africa standing up saying, yeah, they should give reparations to our brothers and sisters in America. Why are they not a part of the conversation? 
Why did they have that big tourist attraction in 2019? Remember that? Ghana, 2019, the year return. The same year they made $2 billion off of the Wakanda movie that was starring all American actors. None of the actors were from Africa, but they were acting like Africans <laughs> in an American movie. And that went over your head. Made $2 billion. They, they made $2 billion in tourism tra- attraction for that uh, 2019 Ghana year return trip where people went down there for like 11 days and spent all the money at the Ghana hotels and they took you to the slave dungeons and all that shit was cat. But it, you know, it helped your heart. It helped you feel like you was home, but they didn't allocate no land. The year returned, they didn't say, hey, come back to Africa. You're going to give everybody an acre of land. That didn't happen. You came down there as an American tourist. You came down there as an American. They knew you had green dollars and they said what they needed to say to make you feel good as a good tourist like any place does and you went back home to America you went back home why didn't you stay why didn't they roll the red carpet out for you to stay because you're not from there now I'm not taking it away I'm saying that we went back and forth from Africa for thousands of years you're originally indigenous to the entire planet we keep saying well Africa's mother the mother of all civilization well what if this is West Africa because remember, the continent was all connected, right? Pangea, it all fits like a puzzle. See, this is called the West, right? This is the extreme West, but it's all connected. All of this land belongs to us. But if they keep you arguing about this portion of Africa and no one else is helping you claim it, then your identity isn't respected by anyone around the world, right? How do you prove that? You go to Harlem in New York City, you got a place called Little Africa, where the Africans do business with the Africans, people from the continent. They do not deal with you niggas that live in New York City. You see what's going on? Where they have us racist against our own people, right? Some people here in America don't like Africans. They stink. Oh, I don't like the way they smell. I don't like their food. This is this is perpetrated by the TV, right? The shit they showed us on TV of the concept of an African. Someone running around naked with no clothes in the jungle. When you go over to Africa, it's fucking beautiful over there. You got some of the richest communities in Africa and they driving Lambos over there. But we all reinforce these stereotypes of each other that further and further take us out of just having a conversation to get it right. I met a sister from Nigeria a few years ago. She's like, I never heard anything about the slavery story until I went to college here in America. <laughs> She's from Nigeria, from Africa. And they don't teach the slavery story and the middle passage shit. They don't teach that in none of the schools in Africa. Why not? If we're their long lost relatives, why don't they talk about it? In fact, they're all copying hip hop, right? They got, they got rappers in Africa doing drill music. <laughs> Why is it that everyone around the world imitates these people in America that think they from Africa when everyone in Africa is trying to copy you? Right. You, you, you are of a more great bloodline than what you think. And our people were prisoners of war. POWs. I'll never use that slave term around because the original slaves were the Slavs. Their people. Our people were prisoners of war. Let's get that right. Let's get that right, family. So as you see, as the years advanced, they started to make legislation because they would pay off these judges that would enforce these corrupt contracts of indentured servitude. So in 1650, Connecticut, 
1661, Virginia made slavery legal, Maryland in 1663, and New York and New Jersey in 1664. Others followed later. These uh, laws left black freemen like the Johnsons still free, but they were no longer treated like other planters. They could still buy black servants, but they were barred from buying white servants. In 1671, another measure, another measure made all non-Christian servants, non-Christian servants newly shipped into Virginia slaves for life. Non-Christian meant African. See what's going on? Now, they didn't mean people from Africa. They just meant if you didn't have a Christian faith, they're going to classify you as an African. You got no standing. You got nobody backing you. So we can write whatever law that applies to you as we see fit. See, when they say you came from another uh, colony or you were imported from somewhere else, you could have came from another state that wasn't a colony. See how this, when, when historically you'll think that you came on a ship <laughs> when you, you went a few miles to another goddamn state. This is what they were perpetrating. So now they made it a law in 1671 that said these free men, these free so-called blacks that were plantation owners themselves, because this was an industry, they could continue to buy black slaves, but they couldn't buy white slaves because remember, in 1681, they created this concept of white people. So where they had to treat them a little bit better than you. And that's when the law started to afford them and they started to disenfranchise us. It all was a system. In 1671, another measure made all non-Christian servants newly shipped into Virginia. See, newly shipped. You could have came from Connecticut. You could have came from New York. But you were shipped in. But not shipped as being on a ship. Non-Christians meant African. Two years later, the Colonial Assembly passed another act validating the enslavement of Indian captives. See, they're all talking about the same people. Because when they had the Seminole Wars in Florida, they was fighting people with locks. It wasn't no damn Indians, they was your people. But if you're reading it in the wrong history book, you're going to think they was fighting Indians with feathers in their head, and many of us had feathers. We had a lot of that regalia. But they, they showed a mixing of these races where you think they're all separate groups of people. Legally, servitude and slavery had been divided. And a further move underlined this. Virginia enacted legislation making black slavery hereditary. See what's going on? Virginia was the first state to say, remember, because they controlled the marriage license and all that other crap. Oh, you want to start a family. Oh, so your child now is property of that contract. And that's where that stuff started to morph. The relevant act read, whereas some doubts have arisen whether children got by an Englishman upon a Negro woman shall be slave or free. Be it therefore enacted and declared by this present grand assembly that all children born in this country shall be held bond or free according to the condition of the mother. This is where they started to rape the women. 
Because if the slave master got you pregnant, now your children be part of become part of a contract that even if you fulfilled the contract, it's now extended. See what's going on? Now our people can produce any shade of people, right? My mother and my father, fair complexion, light brown skin, I'm darker than them. I got brothers and sisters lighter than my parents, but the same parents. See, they perpetrated that fraud where you thought all all our families got raped by white. That's not so. We can produce any shade and all shades. Can't happen in the reverse, right? Pale skin can't produce a dark child. It's not going to work, right? So they they perpetrated all these stereotypes that, that kept us suspended in time and never looking at this story, never looking at what happened. And also, if the condition of the mother wasn't free, see what's going on? Then her children isn't. And this is how a lot of uh, the so-called white, poor whites married into our families and usurped the land. Because if I married your daughter and you left 100 acres to your daughter, guess who gets the 100 acres? The head of the family. See what's going on? And you had a lot of these mixed children and this is where the mulatto race came from. When one drop of Negro blood, you're a Negro. But many of them passed off as white that were mixed. And this is where another class was created. And still today, we still treat people, you know, dark skin, light skin wars, still suspended in that time, right? So they still did a number on us that generationally got us still perpetuating these stereotypes on each other. That utterly reversed the basic principles in English common law, that a child's status followed that of the father. See, that's when they started to switch the game. Although there was no abrupt surge of Africans, see, still wasn't no millions of Africans on ships. The racial balance in the tobacco fields was changing. In the first quarter of the 17th century, white outnumbered black in the Chesapeake by more than 20 to 1. By the last quarter of the century, the ratio had narrowed to 3 to 1, with 2,000 black slave owners in Virginia. 2,000 black slave owners in Virginia and 6,000 white servants. Excuse me. 2,000 black slaves in Virginia and 6,000 white servants. See what's going on? So you had less black slaves or black servants than whites. More of the whites were getting now their contracts honored. So they became property owners along the way. And they were corrupting the contracts with these so-called black servants and made it hereditary. You had children during the the stint of your contract. Now your child's party to the contract. That wasn't happening for the whites, remember? Because they now became this concept of white. So if they're white, we're black. One gets treated this way, the other gets treated that way. So the laws were enacted to further uh, prop up this new class of white created 2,000 black slaves in Virginia and 6,000 white servants by the end of the century the gap was closing fast estimates put the numbers landing in the neighboring Maryland in 1698 at between 600 and 700 whites and about 450 Africans 450 Africans by 1691 Where are these thousands of slave ships that brought millions of people? Hashtag, where are the slave ships? 
If you can find me one, not a replica in the Merlin Museum, if you can find me one intact, then we can have a conversation. But if you can't find me one, they enslaved the people already here on the land. So they owe, they owe you reparations and monetary compensation, and they owe us acres and acres and millions of acres of this land that belonged to our ancestors. And I ain't getting off of it until they make it right. And that's one thing as a people we can unify on, right? We all got different schools of thought and, and different religions and all this. We're never going to come together that way. We all can come together to say this happened to all of us. And everybody's trying to act like it didn't happen. Or that they didn't amass all these profits from what happened. Ah, y'all got to make it right. And we as a people have to get out our feelings and get the story right. Start researching this so when we come to the table to have this conversation, we got it right. We ain't just pointing our fingers at some imaginary white man to say they all owned us. 90% of these poor whites didn't have no goddamn money to buy anything. And a lot of them got the land grab grants of 1895, the farming subsidies. They got the first form of welfare during the Freedmen's Bureau situation where the 40 acres and a mule that was supposed to go to us went to them. And these people became this so-called middle class because the middle class is the illusion. You got the elites, they got everything, and you got everyone else at different tiers of oppression. That's the illusion. And they created that divide and conquer concept that helps them sleep at night. The shift from the time-limited servitude of Englishmen to the lifetime slavery of Africans was prompted by economists, by economics as much as racism. The Caribbean plantations were demonstrating the much larger profits than an openly enslaved workforce could produce, and the Chesapeake planters took note. More and more black slavery appeared the better long-term investment. This was especially so when uh, mortality rates began to fall. In the decades when half the workforce died inside five years, it wasn't good business to purchase men for a life term at twice the price of a time-limited white servant. When, more, when mortality rates improved, that calculation changed and lifetime slaves became more worth buying. One might have expected this to be the beginning of the end for the white slave business, but there was still much more money to be made out of the trade and white labor. So this is when the fraud and the corruption started to be widespread. See, if I stole some people that ran away because their contract wasn't being honored when they should have been compensated land, now I can sell them to somebody else for whatever period of time. This is where the kidnapping and all that shit began. But they didn't kidnap you from Africa. They might have kidnapped you from your free land that was a few miles outside of a plantation. And they drove you up the road and put a shackle on you and now you a slave and they got the big work to go. Regardless if it's bogus, they got a corporate, a uh, 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 corrupt judge that will say it's official. Look at all the corruption running rampant with the, the CPS and them kidnapping our children and the judges a part of the child trafficking ring. All of that shit is real today. But here's the thing. 
The same thing that got them rich is the same thing that's going to be their downfall. These greedy motherfuckers are still trying to deal in oppression. And it's going to cost them. Things will be made right in our lifetime, right? They, they, they're not talk, having these talks for nothing because they know they can only distract us for so long before we come back to our spiritual mind. We come back to the hearts of the ancestors to say, this shit didn't happen for nothing. We don't get it right. See, a lot of us got to get off of the concept of, oh, you know what happened and no, oh, what they, man, they ain't going to never give us nothing. You keep affirming that kind of talk. You're, 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 you're basically calling upon that reality that says, keep ignoring us. Keep ignoring us. Don't make it right. Nah, I'm not a nigga. I'm not a slave. I'm not a free slave. I'm not none of that shit. I'm a descendant of prisoners of war that never got their compensation until we keep the conversation going. We got to keep it going to where we ain't talking about nothing else but this. I'm not casting a ballot for anybody in anybody's election moving forward until y'all make it right with my people. And that's where we at with it. That's where we at with it. And there's literature all around that, that can substantiate our claims. There's census records and all this stuff that shows all this property that was stolen from our people along the way. Ask yourself, my people, why are we the only group of people in history that had our names change about five or six times through the course of history. What's that about? Now, if I owe your grandma some money and I change your grandma's name, I don't owe your grandma. I owe that other name. See what's going on? They ain't never going to address what they did to our ancestors if you can't even tie yourself to those ancestors. You keep saying you from everywhere else than the land you ain't never left. You from somewhere else, why you ain't go back? Why spiritually are you still tied to this land? Because spiritually, this is your land. Webster's Merriam Dictionary, 1878. Definition for American. The copper-colored races here before Columbus arrived. Later changed to the descendants of Europeans. That was the original definition for American in the dictionaries. It since has been changed in this country. That's why they always keep updating dictionaries. But if you study etymology, which deals with the root word, you go back to when the word was first created, and why it was created, and who it applied to. See, when we put stuff into proper context, they can't spin us. But if we stay emotional, they're going to keep spinning us. We don't know how much money they should get. We don't when, when out of nowhere, they printed $7 trillion out of the pandemic, start sending out debit cards and all the fraud and all that shit ran rampant. So... You don't know how to divvy up the money to pay these people that you enslaved? Really? No. You, well, you just found $4 billion for the, the hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants that are in this country illegally. They're getting compensated $1,000 a month free money when you got over 100,000 homeless people in New York City. Men, women, and children. Homeless. No help. The shelter's underfunded. But they got $4 billion to give people that are legally in the country. That's now saying they're going to sue because they're not being treated fairly in these, in these plush hotels. Really? When during the pandemic, they started to round up the homeless in New York City and they put them in hotels. And then they kicked them out. 
because most of them were black and brown people. They said, fuck out of here. But now they put these same migrants that are legally in the country in those same hotels. And the taxpayer, you and me, are going to fit the bill. Make it make sense. So what are they planning for these new class of people they're bringing in? They're going to swap you out. We're not paying the black man for the job. In fact, we don't even need you. Oh, y'all want to stay out of work? Cool. We're going to get these migrants to work for $4. Here nor there. But this is what the future of this country looks like because, as Thomas Jefferson said, a nation that expects to be ignorant and free can never, ever be. Because if you don't know the laws that govern you or, or the history behind why these laws were created, when they were created, you're going to be forever someone's slave. Wade slave, that slave. You see where I'm going with this? And, 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 and I'm doing this bill all out of love because I don't hate anybody. I'm not saying we hate these people. I'm trying to get the story right so they can't spin us when we say, yo, make it right. Make it right. Don't, don't make another slave movie that y'all make millions of dollars off of. Don't give me another Wakanda that y'all make billions of dollars off and that money ain't go to my community. I'm good. I don't want to go to another feel-good movie and we leave out of there and we're still dealing with the same oppression out in the street. Fuck that. We're not dealing with a Black Lives Matter organization raising $60 million and none of that money goes to my people. Not one law gets changed on the books. And brothers are still getting shot. A few months ago, they shot a fucking W amputee. Brother ain't had no legs and no arms. They gunned the brother down. This is a system that's allowed to thrive because everyone keeps pretending the system isn't in play. And what we talking? Facts over feelings. Man, this is powerful stuff, man. I encourage everyone to pick this book up. This is a lovely goddamn book to add to your library. And as I said, if you really invested in what happened to our ancestors, if you really invested in this story and you really want justice for your babies and you want to show them that People can change and we can get this right. Start teaching your baby some real history. Start picking up books like this. Not the feel good back to Africa, eyes of black man book. Man, that's all cat. A lot of that shit is infiltrated by these boule oath taking members that became authors and writers. And they created these embellished stories of, of the black experience that got us suspended in time. Keep calling ourselves a color. Black. Black denotes to an un- known ancestry nothing to do with black skin just like in 1681 they created white people before then these niggas were slaves they they, they, they didn't have white skin and they was the best thing since sliced bread nah they created this white shit to make them better than you and always keep you the last class on the list that's why you're still in the streets screaming my life matters when no other race of people have to scream it. Their life matters. There's something wrong with that. They're, a protest is not going to fix that. We're talking about a competence of a people that's been whitewashed. Salute. Give thanks for everybody tuning in. I am your host, JF Bay. This is the Third Eye High podcast where we deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. And I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. Peace, love, and more light. Continue to dig for the answers. Because if you want to hide something from any people, put it in the book. And we are in the information age. Who would have known? 
right? The information age. You got a population of people that are so dumped down and docile, they got a $1,000 smartphone in their pocket and they still out here acting dumb. That's by design, right? The more technology we get, the more dumbed down we become as a people. But I'm encouraging us, man. Take some time. Carve out some time to start cracking open these books. Work that mind's muscle. Start sharpening your your tool of critical thinking because in the age of information, they're going to show you so much bullshit to keep you distracted from the true self. We went from are UFOs real to niggas shooting UFOs out of the sky, allegedly, right? It's like this shit is getting more (laughs) ridiculous as they go because the closer you get to the truth, the more the lie is going to be poured on you. The more the lie is going to be propped up in front of you and more people are going to be selling the lie. We live in a time where the truth ain't worth shit and the lie is being sold for pennies on a dollar. But your babies want the truth. They don't want to be lied to. They don't want to be lied to. And they're not giving this up. Talks like this in history class, right? Your child is in history, that's you know, studying in college or whatever. Subscribe to this podcast. Send them the episode to this podcast. My podcast, Third Eye High. 3RD, the letter I, the word high. H-I-G-H. Third Eye High on all podcast streaming platforms. Just send them the link to this book report. Fuck it, send them the book You know what I'm saying, pick this book up White Cargo, The Forgotten History of Britain's White Slaves in America By Don Jordan and Michael Walsh I want to salute some of my listeners on my way out And as I said, you can subscribe to the podcast That's a form of donation You can share the podcast You can talk to somebody about some of the content that you consumed from the podcast If you want to send a monetary donation I do not have any outside funding No corporate sponsors, none of that It's all me you can send a monetary donation, help out the podcast for stuff that we do here. Hit my cash app, dollar sign, far outflow, F-A-R-O-U-T-F-L-O-W, far outflow, dollar signs, my cash app. But as I said, you paid attention, you spent your highest form of currency, and I give thanks. So I'm compensated, either way. Shouts out to Joshua Allen, thanks for tuning in. Shouts out to Smith James, Truly Julie, thanks for tuning in. Alexis, LeBron, Charlie, Christopher, uh, Zanidia, uh, Zanadia, sorry for butchering the name. You got a follow for follow sister. Lois Hampton, thanks for tuning in. Adams, Adam Coates, thanks for tuning in. Daquan McKnight, uh, Saduku Moff, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Brian Briggs, uh, Brian, uh, Herblert, Hallblert. I don't want to butcher the name, my G. But I am a 420 consumer. Uh, Lakia Williams, thanks for tuning in. Follow for follow, Empress. Uh, Michael J, thanks for tuning in. Uh, follow for follow. Uh, Elk, Dr. Robert. Minna, uh, thanks for tuning in. Jessica, Kendrew, Zen Master, Janelle, Marcella, Carol, Cecilia Grace, thanks for always tuning in. Uh, Suki, Ming Lu. Ming, uh, Ming Lung Lu, thanks for tuning in, sister. Daryl, thanks for tuning in. Robin, Anna, Dr. Rao, thanks for always tuning in, bro. Uh, Kellyon, Marcianne, thanks for tuning in. Brandy Singleton, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Sharon, Paul John, Greg, thanks for tuning in. Zenith, uh, Carmen, Tammy, 
Michael Wright, uh, Hamid, Stella, and Terry. And thanks for everyone listening in on the podcast. Again, as I said, I am your host, JF Bay. This is the Third Eye High Podcast. We deal with a higher consciousness of a flyer culture. And I'm just here to shine my light your way to help you find your light switch and keep your light lit. So always remember to keep your third eye high. Peace, love, and more light.